And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, October 19th. Derek Benreifer, Eno Saris, Bertrolli. The band is all here. We've got two great LCS series in progress. We'll talk about those two matchups uh, as things stand going into Thursday's game. We also have an interview. Eno sat down with Yvonne Rodriguez. We'll have that later on in this episode. And we had a surprising departure with Kim Ang leaving the Miami Marlins earlier this week. Britt wrote a great story about it, so we'll dig into that here in just a few minutes. But let's begin in the ALCS. The Astros pull to a 2-1 series deficit with a big Game 3 victory. People were wondering, were the Rangers ever going to lose in the postseason? Turns out, yes, they can. But no one expected the Astros to go away quietly. Now, a lot of ground to cover here. Christian Javier pitched really well again last night. Two earned runs over five and two-thirds. His postseason career numbers are ridiculous. I was looking at those this morning. 43 and a third career postseason innings. 60 Ks, 22 walks. 18 hits allowed. That is an absurdly low number of hits in 43 innings and change. 208 ERA, a whip below 1.923 whip. It's kind of similar to what Javier did in the regular season in 2022, but given how much he struggled at times throughout 2023, this performance in the playoffs is a bit surprising to me because I thought we were starting to see some of the wheels fall off. We we're starting to see teams figure him out a little bit and maybe maybe as a, a regular starter over multiple seasons there was a a way to to actually hit this guy. But it looks like he is back to that elite sort of level. And uh, I'll start with you on this one, you know, like fluctuations in performance from a guy that we know has good stuff. Like, what do you make of these varying highs and lows from Christian Javier, who was so good again on Wednesday night? Well, he's a two-pitch pitcher. And I think what we've seen is that um, – over the course of the season, the, ch- the shape of his fastball really changed, and he lost uh, almost two inches of ride on that pitch. And this is a pitch that um, isn't going th- 95 or 96 like it was before. It's it's more like 93, 94. And so it's really important that it jumps up on the hitters. It's also important because he's a two-pitch guy. If one of those pitches is not as good as, as the other, it's not like he can go depend more on the curve or the change. He does throw the curve sometimes, but you know it's really a fastball slider package. And what what we didn't quite see that was under the poor numbers in the po- in the la- latter half of the season was he was getting that ride back slowly and so uh yesterday and in the playoffs he's had the best ride uh on his fastball that he's had all season i don't know how he did it uh that'd be something i'd ask if uh, i had the chance with him but i suspect it has something to do with small things like hand position cuz his release point is slightly different 
anyway, he mechanically found something. Um, I don't doubt that uh, he's a good postseason pitcher. I think one of the things that makes you better at something is repeated practice at something. Uh, I remember back in the day, everyone said Barry Bonds was not good in the postseason. He got a little more practice at it, and then he blew through that 2002 postseason uh, like it was wet paper. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Javier is a good postseason pitcher because he's a good pitcher and he's got a lot of practice at the postseason. I love the wet paper analogy, you know, uh, I'm thinking about it now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> about the story and, and I'm in Arlington for those who are listening to this and not seeing the shady backdrop of my courtyard hotel. That's um, how you decorate super, at home. Yeah. Super fancy, super drab, <laughs> uh, but walkable to the stadium, which is my number one goal in the playoffs. Um, Everyone made such a big deal about Max Scherzer, and, and we will get to him. But I thought the real story was Javier holding down a Rangers lineup that has been otherworldly in the playoffs. I mean, it, you look at it, and they didn't have a – there was a no-hitter going for quite a while. We were like, oh, my God, are we got to write a no-hitter story? That's how dominant he looked. And then, of course, I think it was right around the fifth inning. You know, they get the hit. They very quickly get the, the two-run home run, and it becomes like, phew, different game a little bit. But – um I was so impressed with the way he was able to handle a lineup that one to nine is incredibly dangerous. I mean, Justin Verlander after game one talked about it. Like you can't go into this as a starting pitcher and say, here's the pocket I want to focus on. There are no pockets in the Rangers lineup. All you have is just deep, deep guys, one to nine. And I think when you're in the postseason and every pitch takes so much more out of you, every pitch seems to be high stress to watch Javier do what he did and really set the tone for that game. Yes, the Rangers came back in certain points, but this is a team, guys, that had only trailed one inning of the entire postseason. They trailed the entire game last night. They never let. So, you know, they, as soon as the they scored three runs in the second inning, that was it. So I think Javier was the story of that game. And we can look at Max Scherzer and debate, you know, whether he was rusty and he was just very un-Max Scherzer-like in his post-game press conference. But to me, the story of this game was what Javier was able to do on the mound in a game that really was an elimination game for Houston, right? You can't go down 3-0. Now we have a series. I thought last night at Texas won, this may end in Arlington. Now, guys, I'm looking at flights or, you know, to Houston. This is probably going seven. <laughs> what did, tell me a little bit about that postseason thing. I, I, I missed the postseason, uh, the postgame thing with Scherzer because uh, yeah. I, I had some bedtime duties. Yeah. So Scherzer, who I covered in D.C. every day for two years and I'm still living in the area. So, you know, I was around a lot um, even before. Then he goes to the Mets and. He's, in my opinion, one of the most accountable pitchers in baseball. I was fully expecting him last night to say, I have to be better. I'm the reason we lost this game. But instead, he was like, well, I'm taking positives. I'm not worried about any negative stuff. I am just focused on what's ahead. And I was thinking about it. And he didn't deter from that. Like, he got asked the same question 40 times and was still like, nope, there's some bad in here, but I'm focused on the good. I'm not beating myself up. I thought it was a good outing. And I'm like, wow, this guy gave up five runs over four innings. Max Scherzer that I know that I covered every day would have been a little more critical of himself. Then I was heading up to the press box and I was thinking, you know, he has to think this way right now, I think, because it's survival, because he's going to get a chance to pitch again, whether that's in the bullpen or starting a game on short rest. They need him again. So I think his mentality has to be, 
I wasn't crisp. The slider wasn't there, but the fastball was, and, and I'm going to be needed. So I have to focus on the positives and not wallow mm. in the fact that I wasn't Max Scherzer yesterday. So I think that the message he sent was a clear message to the media. Like I asked him, what are the positives, Max? And he said, well, I don't want the Astros reading about the positives. So like in his <laughs> mind, this was definitely a play of, I need to present this positive front. I'm not going to comment on what was positive, but I need this to get out that Max Scherzer felt good. Max Scherzer had more in the tank. Max Scherzer believes that, you know, he is still productive and capable because the alternative, I think he thinks would have given the Houston Astros an edge. And and so he's thinking like you're thinking, this is going to go seven. I'm going to pitch again. Let's, let's go. Let's, it, it, I, I messed up the first one, but I don't want to talk about that because you know, this is this is more about what happens the next time I get out there. And, you know, if you do look at the numbers and I and I watched uh, the start, you know, I, I agree with you that like there were some positives, you know, getting back up to 94, sitting 94 was one of his better velos of this season. Uh, the, and when he could actually this, he was spotting the, the, the fastball well, too. It was yeah. something weird with the slider. He just couldn't he couldn't command the slider he, and the, the breaking balls were in the dirt and he hit Jordan Alvarez with a breaking ball in the in the foot and like. The, the the slider wasn't there. If you look at his whiff rate on his slider, it was the lowest whiff rate on a slider, uh, you know, all season. It was like maybe there's one or two games where it was it was worse. So, uh, you know, that's really where he was missing, uh, missing something was that slider. So, yeah, maybe that's, you know, that's something you can you can do in a, in a bullpen session is just work on the slider or, or, or maybe just thinks it's going to be better next time out. Yeah, I wonder, uh, you know, how granular you have to go to find those successes. Is it is a case where the, the fastball stuff numbers, you know, in your pitching plus model, were those back to previous norms? Because Scherzer's been more inconsistent this year than I would have expected. I thought one of the benefits of the Mets initially having him, and similar to Justin Verlander's, when you have these guys who've been around as long as both Scherzer and Verlander have, they find ways to adjust course when something isn't working. So that's been the surprising part of the struggles for both of those guys for me is that I thought they'd be able to adjust a little more quickly. This was after a long layoff for Scherzer too. I mean, that's definitely a factor that needs to be Mm -hmm. brought back to the table. It wasn't like he pitched five days ago and then turned in this sort of start. But you start thinking about where the series is going I'm with Britt. I don't think this one's ending in five. So we're probably going to see Max Scherzer pitch again before the series is over. <laughs> More travel. Hey, I don't have to travel. I'm, I'm, I'm all for the series all being as long as possible. <laughs> we've we're had too many short series been, already. I've yeah. been in Texas for a while. I was here last series too. I've been in a Lone Star State for a while. That's okay. Uh, I, like, you know. I like Texas. Arlington could use a couple more food spots. Mm. Really, really. <laughs> I hop six flags and the stadiums. Six flags. <laughs> yeah. Is that where the the one there was a person a few years ago that bought the all you can eat six flags card and they ate like hundreds of meals at six flags? Remember that story? That was nuts. Probably because I'm it's having trouble food. finding something not fried in this state. So <laughs> yeah. not recommend. That's not food you'd want to eat on an everyday basis. Uh I think it was a guy. This guy got his money's worth, like for sure yeah, but at the same time like there was a cost to eating all of that food from six flags uh to brit's point about the rangers lineup i mean the depth of this lineup has been a strength all season uh, josh young being at the bottom third of the order just blows my mind because i see so much ceiling for him there's already present value this is a guy that's a mid-20s home run hitter this season and 
he's probably going to get better. He's probably going to bring that K rate down over time. He's probably going to walk a little more over time. To me, he's more of a middle third of the order hitter. I could see Josh Young becoming the equivalent of Austin Riley in Atlanta. I could see him being that kind of player for this team going forward. So to have a guy like that in the bottom third of the order, that's really nice to have right now. Nathaniel Lowe hits low in the order right now. Um, part of that's they're getting more mileage out of some guys, having healthy Mitch Garver and then Jonah Heim hitting the way he's been hitting throughout this yeah. season. That's been a big part of the story. And and this is this is what I think great teams consistently have. They have a lineup with like no more than one easy out. The Astros, we always pick on Martin Maldonado for being that guy over the course of the season. Numbers don't look that good. But the one thing Maldonado does offensively, he can actually hit a home run every now and then. He actually has a little bit of thump. You make a mistake against Martin Maldonado, he can punish you for it. Of course, he adds a ton of value behind the plate. That's why he has the job. That's why he's there. But the strength of this Rangers team is being capable of out hitting some of the flaws with the pitching. And I'm wondering if we're going to see those flaws start to reveal themselves more the longer this series goes on. The question I have about game four, it's Jose Urquidy versus Andrew Heaney. What's the sweet spot for Andrew Heaney's workload in game four for the Rangers to get the win in this matchup? Like, what do you think needs to happen for Heaney specifically for this to go well for Texas? Four to five innings. That's what they were hoping Scherzer would get. And he did go four. He just gave up five runs and kind of buried them a little bit early. But I think they're going to try to match the playbook they had when Heaney started that game in Baltimore. Um, And they were able to win that game. Obviously, they swept Baltimore. And they did that by getting multiple innings from guys, right? So I think you're going to see, like, Dane Dunning is going to probably be in this game, right? And, um, you know, Bradford, you're going to look at, like, how much can we extend guys? Because you know you have another game coming up. You have a five no matter what. You have a game tomorrow. But you have an actual starter that would go tomorrow's game. So I think that they're going to probably try to empty this bullpen here because you're Texas. This is a big must-win game. And last night, I was waiting on on pitching coach Mike Maddox because I wanted to talk to him about Scherzer. And I never got him because they were in this huge meeting, the coaches like kind of huddling together, figuring out this exact thing. How are we going to get through game four and give us a chance to win, right? And there's not really an easy path, but I think if Heaney can go two times through the order and keep them in the game, they'd sign up for that in blood. Was the last game Andrew Haney for three and two thirds and Dane Dunning for two? Um, yes. Sort of what I'm looking at here. So uh, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously the blueprint. I think, you know, if it's just three and two uh, that might be okay. I think what they're doing is that, you know, they really want to be slimmed down. The, the, the guy, that they don't want to pitch anyone worse than is Cody Bradford, right? Like they would rather just pitch LeClerc, Sabors, and Chapman for the end of this game. And so that's why getting to six or even five and two thirds uh, puts them right there. Um, But, uh, you know, Cody Bradford is going to be the guy that, you know, comes up first after Dane Dunning if, uh, you know, if they don't make it far enough. Um, And if Cody Bradford doesn't get it done, then they have to go to the pitchers they went to last night that they don't want to go to much in this series, which is like, you know, Chris Stratton, uh, John Gray didn't quite seem to have it. Uh, Will Smith, uh, you know, did not look good. So, you know, a lot of those guys they're trying to avoid using right now. But yeah. the key was they didn't use any of the A relievers in the loss in game three. When you play on three consecutive days, 
that's extremely valuable because in a closer game that you're losing, you can throw those guys in game four and throw them again in game five because you've got an eventual off day before you get to game six, right? So mm-hmm. that's a huge part of, of the calculus. Is, well, at least this game wasn't so close that we threw all those guys because that would make this even more difficult. Or you'd be throwing guys on three consecutive days, which you can do, but you start to lose something performance-wise in a lot of cases when you use relievers that way. And I think this is the other part of the Rangers we've wondered about. How will their bullpen hold up against top-level lineups? So that's definitely something to watch. And uh, And Houston, use Presley. Why are you jealous? (laughs) I'm just jealous that you're you're there for this. This was a great... It is fun. This is a great series. You know, we saw the Leody Tavares' catch... No, it was, was incredible, fun. and everyone and, it just and Michael Brantley. Up the stadium. Brantley Michael Brantley's was ridiculous too. That it to was. me was a, a huge shifter. That ball gets down. The game was like still kind of close at yeah. that point in time. That was a huge. And he's not a good defender. Sometimes when you're like when a not good defender does something good defensively, <laughs> yeah. you're like yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uh, he like flies under the radar on that Astros team. I know he's really reticent, like with the media, doesn't really enjoy being in the spotlight at all. But I think like low key, he's a glue guy there in that clubhouse for them. Also yeah, a hits guy. I mean, he's a high contact guy. Where you know, mm-hmm. just keeps the lineup moving sometimes. Absolutely. I thought the uh, the aerial cam shot of the Tavares catch in particular, it gave you more perspective of how hard the ball was hit. Like, you know, Jordan Alvarez hits the ball hard pretty much all the time anyway. But it to me, it, it highlighted how difficult that play was. Tavares made it look so easy. And then he just calmly flips off his hat, looks at the card like next pitch, like didn't even flinch and then glanced up at the scoreboard, watched himself looked like Superman and then just kept on playing, which very smooth, very cool, very great, very like amazing catch. The wall, the wall height also time. contributed a little bit to that play, which is cool. I'm not, I'm not wall trying to wave should be that way. That's yes. a good wall height. I like that wall. Height. Wall heights. So wall heights should be variable depending on the level of athleticism of people on the field. So if the three of us are <laughs> yeah. playing wiffle ball, the wall height should be such Four that foot. any of the three of us can actually <laughs> so can run home runs. Yeah. So yes. it, it, the, the wall is the exact right height for that play it's a, that's a proper <laughs> ballpark dimension stadium design awesome awesome play just didn't lead to anything for the rangers it kept them in the game i think it kept that game it could have been a turning point if they're able to get a rally looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Shifting the focus over to the NLCS. That's the early game of the of the two for Thursday, by the way. Brandon Fott has the tall task of trying to quiet this Phillies lineup. And Brandon Fott is a rookie that we had pretty high expectations for going into this season. There have been some flashes of promise, and there are reasons to believe long-term Brandon Fott could be a very good big league starter. But how do you slow down 
a juggernaut like the Phillies offense when it's just firing on all cylinders. Ranger Suarez going for the Phillies in this one, by the way. Where do you even begin, Britt? Like, what's the game plan? How do you try and and just stop the momentum of a Philly team that looks like it's destined to go back to the World Series? They they do look like a team of destiny. I mean, I think the easiest thing, if you're Arizona and you're finally playing at home, is to score early because the Phillies, like Texas, have led for much of this postseason. So they haven't had, and Rob Thompson talked about this in the TBS um, interview, is that it just changes the psyche, right? There's not a whole lot of pressure on them. So I think if you're Arizona and you jump out and you put some runs on the board, maybe that does give you a little more confidence. I mean, there has been not really much to feel good about at all if you're Arizona about this series. So they kind of have to do what Houston did last night jump out to a lead early and just kind of hang on, like keep putting those tack on runs on and then find a way to make this a series because it looks right now like Philly is going to steamroll their way to the world series. They absolutely look like a destiny. Over. <laughs> their lineup is ridiculously good. And it, the map, even today, it doesn't look like it's going to be this great, you know, matchup where Arizona really has a chance to be the, the, the stopper here. So I think their only chance is to jump on Suarez force them to go to that pen early and then kind of ride that wave. What is sad though, guys, did you hear this, that ticket prices have plummeted in Arizona and that you can get in for like $16. First off, it's a 2 PM game, which if I'm an Arizona fan, I'm mad about like they fight like really, they can't have a night game and then an afternoon game. I'm in Texas. The game's at eight o'clock Eastern. You couldn't make this game an hour early or whatever. You could still have made that game a little bit later. I, I don't know. I have a real problem with that. Like give them, give their fans a chance to celebrate. It is a work day and it is at two o'clock local time. Like what? That yeah. There is a night game There's tomorrow be a lot of fans and they're there. down three, nothing like, like who's going to go yes. to that? You know, you're kind of exactly capping them a little bit, you know, I know. It's it, like, it does they have been the late game tonight. Tonight is not a clincher. Right. Maybe they thought it was going to be a clincher. But this never screamed. No, it of couldn't Texas have been a clincher. It couldn't have been. But but they're flipping the order for the games for Friday, it so they get the no, no, they get a later wait. game tomorrow. It could have been if Texas won last night. Tonight could have been a clincher. So maybe that's. Oh, you're talking about the ALCS. I thought you were talking about the other one. Yes. So because I was wondering, like, why wouldn't you give this the early game, right, and give Arizona a night game? Well, the markets are five. Markets are bigger. Although the Philly market is the biggest market in there, and then Houston is the second one. And then Texas is third and Arizona's fourth. I don't know. I don't know. They're flipping yeah. the order for Friday, though. They're playing the Arizona Philly game in the later spot and they're playing the, the game. And that's Texas dumb because that game may never happen. Texas games. Isn't that game tomorrow? The game tomorrow night is early? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. They, I'm looking at Savant. They've got a 407 start time on that game in Texas for Friday. And that Eastern? may, and that may, Central. the Arizona All one right. may never happen. So if that happens, they would they would flip the uh, Texas Houston game. They push it to the lighter slot. They did this before, breaking so, the fourth wall, man. Like moving yeah. from the West Coast back to Central, not being used to that, having a kid, working with people on each of the two coasts, one of whom is traveling, and then looking at websites that automatically adjust for the time zone you're in when everything else is listed on Eastern time is absolute insanity. I don't know what time anything actually is. So I try to I got clarify it Friday, which zone as much Friday as possible. Friday's not going to switch. The Friday would be the fourth game. No. But in yeah. any case, it, it is a little bit rude to, to Arizona. And I, I just want to give some love to Arizona because we could just, you know, just declare that over like most people and not even give them any love. 
Uh, I love watching Corbin Carroll. I think he's an amazing young star. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that Brandon Fott is maybe better than uh, given credit since he moved on the rubber um, to a more extreme spot on the rubber. He's taking more advantage of a bit of a sideways uh, arsenal that he's got. It's not great, you know, north south, which is what most teams are looking for. But he's got good sideways movement. Since he's moved on the on, on that, he's been a slightly better than league average uh, starter. And uh, he does throw a curveball. And that's the only pitch the Phillies have been below average against in the playoffs is the curveball. So fill them up with curveballs and hope for hope for some strikeouts. I don't know. I, I, I think he needs to go three or four. Uh, they don't really have, uh, you know, that do they want to go to Ryan Nelson? You know, they don't really have that depth in the starting rotation where, you know, they can be like, yes, just give us three scoreless and we'll win this game. So it's going to be hairy. I think it'll be a high scoring game uh, and it's going to be on Arizona's bats to, to wake up a little bit. But they can do it. I, I think the you know the matchups being against Wheeler and Nola in the first two games, not hitting those guys That's isn't a necessarily a sign that you're not going to hit in the whole series. This is a great get-well spot. Ranger Suarez is much more hittable than those top two Philly starters. This is an Arizona lineup that went off in that series against the Dodgers and scored plenty of runs against the Brewers in the wild card round before that. I mean, the four home runs in an inning, that was unreal watching that play out. I know I wasn't on the show last week, but that... That was an incredible inning. Four home runs and one inning for the Diamondbacks in that game against the Dodgers. Yeah. So there's just there's a lot to uh there's a lot to like about this Arizona team. And I think it's forgotten because of just how slanted the, the first two games, the second game was just out of control. But this is a good team that could bounce back in a big way. I'd like to see them do it because the series hopefully goes at least six. Hopefully. I, I don't want this to be a quick series. You know, I think there's uh, there are a lot of people out there who haven't watched Arizona much this season prior to the playoffs, so it'd be a shame to see them disappear quickly. I don't want uh, to learn too much from the playoffs because I find them to be pretty unpredictable, and we I think we overlearn from the playoffs. One thing that we that happens to us when we in terms of our memories is that we remember things that have emotions tied to them better. Uh, it's part of how our brains work. So you know it, w- what happens in the playoffs, we remember it better, and we want it. We spend more time thinking about it, and we try to make sense of it in a way that I'm not sure we should. Uh, but one thing that I would say is that if you look at payrolls. Yes, lower payroll teams make the playoffs, uh, but if you look at who wins the World Series, they're almost always top 10 in payroll. And if there is something that happens in the playoffs is that like, you know, you know, adding those free agents, adding those expensive, you know, stars to the top of a a good core uh, can be the difference. If you look at the Phillies versus the D-backs, like let's say you put a $300 million, uh, you know, free agent type guy on the D-backs. Let's say they had Manny Machado at third instead of, uh, instead of, uh, uh, Evan Longoria, or let's say they had, uh, you know, uh, you know, one of these big pitchers in, in the rotation that they could add to to Gallon and, and Kelly. That would be a, a really important thing right now. So it's a great team, and I've seen some people be like, "Yeah, but your team is, you know, a hundred million dollars more expensive than ours." So in your face (laughs) there there is some weird discourse right now about (laughs) about the efficiency of payrolls and it it, if you were a fan of you know that's the drummer who's it who's it the drummer for a band what was it did you see that what oh my god the ah 
I wish I had the, the band name. What are you the talking drummer about? for a band that that, that is a famous dr- a band. I, I, I forgot the name of the band. Sorry, it's going to be useless. But <laughs> a drummer for a band was like, yeah, uh, our team is younger and cheaper, and your team is $130 million more expensive. And you Who cares? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not paying those guys. <laughs> not my money, not my problem. <laughs> yeah. The biggest the biggest heist front offices have pulled off over the last decade is getting fans to believe that like low payroll and prospects are the way to go. Like efficiency is or king. just like, like yeah, it's something which, worth rooting for or something. I would worth, like, like to introduce you to Dave Dombrowski. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's that. And it's like yeah, look who actually wins most years. Most years, yes. not every year, but look most at the years. most winningest executive. <laughs> it's, it's Dombrowski's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> like the he Rays is. are a lesson in like how to not be bad during the regular season, but they're not a lesson for how to win the World Series. And too many yeah. teams think that. Yeah. Well, see, but the thing is, is you can sell to many fan bases that playing October baseball consistently is good enough. And you can you can convince people. You can say, and hey, look, mathematically, hey, it's like it playing a bunch of hands to blackjack. Yes, so all yeah. you gotta do what? is convince me to some extent to, to get I'd to the I'd rather my over team over. wins and be bad yeah. for five years. Win the whole thing. No one remembers like, oh, we keep losing on the wild card. Right? It's the twins. What it's like to keep going to the postseason and losing if that's a cool thing. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay. Perfect. Perfect segue. Are the Miami <laughs> Marlins, formerly the Florida Marlins, are they a successful franchise in the grand scheme of things? Not just this current iteration. Of course, they're they in the got new those wins. They got those Never two won titles, a division. and then they burn it down. Now, like that's an extreme version of what you're talking about, Britt. The fire sale that's... is just horrendous yeah. for fans. It's like we have a good team, and now we're giving up, and that's that's kind of different than what you're getting at. You. I think what you were saying, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that win a title, miss the playoffs, but trying to make the playoffs, you'd rather have that than five playoff appearances with no title. Is that what you were getting at? I think you can ask Cub fans, like, would they trade in 16 for five more playoff appearances? And the answer would be no, right? That's because they went 100 years without a title. Same thing in D.C., though, right? Like, I just think fans are okay dealing with some down years if they know that you're going to try to be good when it's time to try to be good. That's how I feel. Maybe people disagree. That's how I feel. The Marlins is an extreme. We win the title in 03. We're going to be bad and not get to the playoffs in a full like season for another 20 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, 2020 a, was an expanded an playoff field. So we don't even have to count that appearance because 16 teams got in the playoffs that year. Yeah. So this is the extreme. first time they get back. And that's the context of all of this is what made the news. You know, and I talked about it on rates and barrels a little bit on Monday. And at the time, all we had was the statement that Kim Eng released. The news had just broke that Kim Eng declined the mutual option to return to the Marlins. And we're like, okay, like structure of the, the baseball operations department. Is, is it not having enough people, not having enough money and resources? No, no, no. The story came out, Britt. You broke the story. You wrote it. There's a lot more to it than just the usual Marlin stuff. Like this is a person getting completely snubbed after leading a front office back to the postseason effectively for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. I mean, don't forget. I mean, as I wrote, they wanted a president that came in and really when you write a story like this stuff comes out after you write the story. Like I heard from people yesterday that were basically like, listen, Bruce Sherman was around the team for maybe six weeks all year. He had no actual understanding of who was doing what he got some bad advice that said we should hire a president. He said, sounds good. He approaches Kim with this. Kim basically is like, you 
you want someone above me, like to make the real decisions, right? It, it was just a completely absurd thing on top of most executives when they have a that kind of a successful season and they're facing a lame duck year, the teams will restructure a contract. They'll rip up that option year and they will say, let's sign you for three years, right? Because when she signed her contract, which I am betting is probably the lowest paid GM, if not, she's among the bottom like three in terms of paid GMs. When she signed that deal, guys, in November 2020, no one was sure what she was going to do. No one was sure she was going to be successful. So that's a different salary class than what she was able to do this year and bringing that organization to the playoffs, right? And I think people felt good about where that team was at. Skip Schumacher may win an NL Manager of the Year. She brought him in. Um, so I think she changed the culture very quickly. And then they didn't appreciate that. It seems like ownership had this huge disconnect where they thought, well, you did a nice job. We're going to just pick up your mutual option. And then we're going to hire someone to really make the decisions. And I don't know anybody who would not be offended by that, who would not think, hey, this this is ridiculous. You're stripping me of power and I'm underappreciated. She also wanted to clean out. I mean, there were people there from previous regimes that were not loyal to her vision. There were people trying to undermine her. And she Probably was the unable, person who gave Sherman that advice. <laughs> correct. And she was unable to get rid of those people. So if you're going to be GM and you're not allowed to dictate some of your staff heads and you're going to have a president above you and your owner is just going to pick up your option, it became very clear that she wasn't a valued part in his mind of the Marlins. So good for her walking away from a job that it took her three decades to get. You know, there's only 30 of these jobs. I think it's just really an indictment on the Marlins. I mean, I had somebody yesterday in that organization text me. There's no question the organization took a large step back already just by losing Kim Ng. So it's unfortunate. This was the coolest thing about the Marlins, the most goodwill they've had in 20 years and they had to just basically shoot themselves in the foot. All you all all they were they were required to do was to say to Kim, let's move forward, let's extend you. And they messed that up. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. It is it's a layup, really, for decision making. Like what I think it's hard to understand how out of touch many owners are when it comes to understanding what's really happening within their organizations. Like this is. This is like cartoon Bob's Burgers, Kelvin Fishoder grade stuff. Mr. Fishoder owns everything on Bob's Burgers. And he's just, he's out of touch with reality. That's what it feels like this is. Someone gets in his ear and says, you need a president of baseball operations. Who is that person? And what are they actually going to do that we don't do already? It seems like there's just key questions being missed there. And why can't Kim have that job? Like the, the resume she that, had, <laughs> the resume Kim Eng had when she became the GM of the Marlins had two baseball careers worth of experience. If you split that resume in two and gave it to someone who graduated from the Ivy League 10 years ago, you'd have two GMs. That's what you'd have in terms of experience. So if the whole thing is completely absurd. I wonder, too, is there another job going into next season? They're teams with openings. The Red Sox are being very deliberate in their search. They've also been turned down by a lot of people who don't even want to interview for roles there. Is there an opportunity for Kim Ang in Boston or somewhere else in Major League Baseball right away before we get to the 2024 season? And, and could she get like a good 
opportunity because even the Boston one has been declined <laughs> by some people, you know, because what Boston ownership yeah. has shown is a little bit like what Sherman has shown, which is like you got three years or four years to put up or shut up and put up or shut up in Boston is mostly like title or not. It's not just like yeah. make the playoffs and lose in the first round. So, you know, uh, what happens a lot of times uh, in these situations is that, um, you know, people that have to overcome, you know, certain biases get worse jobs you know they get the the first job they get is the one job that nobody wants you know and uh like like even dusty we love dusty to death what did he when did he get back in he got back in after the astros got cheated had to get, they got busted for cheating you know and nobody managers the are job. like yes i'd i'd like to be the first one and you know in line for that job you know so you know, a lot of times, you know, I would, I just want her to get like a crown jewel job. I want her to get like a, like a, yeah, legit, like this is an awesome job. Everybody wanted it. And I got a job, you know, that yeah. seems like she, she deserves a shot at something like that. The Red Sox should be a job like that. It's so strange what they've become. You know, there's, no, you, there's had, you had people that. declining. They, they, they even meant, they even admitted they declined. Brandon Gomes from the Dodgers admitted he declined to interview for the job. Uh, was it uh, Randy Levine from no, not Randy Levine, Thad Levine? Thad no, Falvey turned Thad Levine interviewed. Thad Levine is interviewing Derek Falvey. Derek Falvey yeah. said no. turned it down. So mm -hmm. there are, you know, the, when you get the public knows, those are, I think, as an ownership group, you should be like, that's interesting. Yeah. Why did that non-GM de decline the interview for our GM spot? That's weird. What are we? Yeah. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like for her to be a president somewhere. I think there's a bunch of teams that are looking at presidents um, because there aren't that many good GM jobs, right? Like, why can't she go to Chicago, be a president? Why can't, mm -hmm. you know, Houston's looking at a president. I've heard rumors that Angels might be looking for a president. There's no perfect job. Most of them have warts, but I think she just wants to be in a place where she can make her own decisions and run a team, which she was doing in Miami <laughs> until they took it away from her. Yeah, and Miami that roster is still going to need work. Like, so whoever takes that job over is still taking on something that has work to be done. Like they made progress this year. The loss of Sandy Alcantara is huge. I think that's, yeah. that's something that you look at this rotation for next year and say, yeah, they're young and they've got some guys that have taken steps forward. Lizardo Garrett, Yuri Perez is fantastic. I mean, made the case back when Perez got called up, they should have been all in right away. And they eventually did. They did make additions. They got some power. They got help in the middle of the order at the trade deadline. And that goes back to Kim Ng. That's making the right adjustments and putting this team in a position to be successful. I don't know. Is it going to be 20 more years before the Marlins go back to the playoffs now? This could be a, a massive turning point in the wrong direction for a franchise that has spent plenty of time rowing in, in the wrong direction uh, over yeah, the Yeah, it'd be years. so much better to have some continuity from year to year and have the person who got them there be, be working on the team right now. Instead, they're working on finding somebody, you know, instead of, you know, just continuing the work. Right. And yeah. if there was already division between Kim Eng and previous members of other regimes throughout the organization. Got you're going to have, you're gonna, you're gonna have conflict with the new person too. Yeah. At least when you had yeah. one person there for a few years, they were at least starting to steer things in the right direction. And now got to go back to the, got to go back to the bad place. Sorry, Marlins. It's deserved. It's your owner. It's not, uh, it's not your former GM's fault. It's going to be your owner's <laughs> fault. And this team is bad for a long time. It's a tough place to win because of the vision too. That was something we got yeah. uh, got into on rates and barrels. The NL East is tough to be a, a perennial playoff team, and it's going to get tougher 
in the yeah. years ahead. Uh, we are going to go. The episode's not quite over. Before we sign off, just letting you know, we've got Eno's interview with Yvonne Rodriguez coming up here in just a few minutes. So you should check that out. You can find us on Twitter. Britt is at Britt underscore Droli. Eno is at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek and Riper. If you'd like to sign up for The Athletic, read all the great stories that Britt and Eno and everybody else on the staff have been putting out, go to theathletic.com slash baseball show, $2 a month gets you in the door. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. Stay tuned for Eno's interview with Yvonne Rodriguez. Always got the green light here. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Thank you so much, Yvonne Rodriguez. Sorry for that technical difficulty. Thank you so much for having some time for me today. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you're watching the playoffs today and 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 cheering your Rangers on uh, when you're when I you're do. watching. I, I, I really do. You know, I'm enjoy what I'm seeing. I'm enjoy seeing uh, the Rangers playing good ball. Obviously, good pitching, good good offense, and uh, basically uh, uh, good hitting. And I think when you have those three things in one thing, you're gonna win a lot of a lot of ball games, but for me, what I've been amazing the most is the starting pitcher. You know, we got Montgomery the first game, pitched six plus innings, and then uh, yesterday, uh, uh, another six uh, plus inning uh, again from the starting uh, uh, starting pitcher. So I think that's that's the key. And and the good news now that we're going to have Max Searcher now and and John Gray coming. Coming into the to being active this series, so the with those four guys, you know, I think it's going to be really good. When you watch Jonah Heim, who I, you know, everyone tells me that he has a, a real reputation as being a good catcher, good defensive catcher. That was the first thing he's added the offense since. When you watch him, uh, what do you think of in terms of preparing for these? What was like for you as a catcher to prepare for a postseason game? Very, very, very good catcher. Very smart guy. Uh, studied the game uh, from A to Z. Obviously, he he's uh, you know I watch him uh, when I'm in when I'm in town in Texas. Uh, he's in the video room studying the haters and uh, doing a good report for the pitchers. And I think that's important for a catcher to to have that part of the game. I think uh, uh, if you if you talk to a lot of these pitching staff. 
they love him to be behind the plate because the way he receives, the way he blocks, the way he throws, the way he calls the game. And plus he have a big size behind the plate. So so the target is is pretty is pretty good for the pitcher. So I think uh I think he's doing a good job offensively. Uh I mean when we talk about you know hitting and defense, I mean it's it's unbelievable when you have a guy that you know almost hundred RBI as a catcher, you know, twenty plus home runs and hitting over two eighty as a catcher is uh is great, even though that he got hurt. Uh for six weeks during the during the season, but imagine if I think he he's played, still hurt. <laughs> imagine if he's still uh, no hurt. Uh, yeah, you know, full season he was probably having a an MVP uh, an MVP year. But uh, but I like the way that he's calling the game, the way he's behind the plate. You know, the calm that he is receiving, and and the way the pitchers feel with him behind the plate. Yeah, with Jonah there and Bruce uh, Bruce Bochi managing, uh, the Rangers have left their pitchers in a little bit longer. So we're talking about longer outings from Montgomery, and uh, and uh, you know what we've seen is that Bochi seems to trust his guys. He even said recently, you know, if they're dealing, uh, you know, I'm going to leave them out there. That's something the numbers haven't been able to show. That's part of yeah, why the, the game yeah, is changing. You know, yeah, I've seen the numbers here from. Uh... From uh, uh, Montgomery's uh, performance the other day, he threw 110 pitches. Uh-huh. He boldly, he boldly throws 108. So yeah. I, that's, that's pretty that's pretty good. You know, that's that's what a veteran manager does. I mean, that's what that's why we brought Boshi into our team this year. Uh, a guy that knows how to deal with the players. A guy that has been in the playoff a lot of times, a lot of World Series. So he knows what it takes for these guys uh, in the clubhouse to win ball games. So I think with with him, we have to mention. I mean, not too many, not too many knows about the job that the front office, the Chris Chris Young, the whole coaching staff. You have to give them a lot of credit because obviously, you know, it's a hard job doing the season to put a good team together, put a winning team together. And then when you bring Bochi with Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, back into uh, into the pitching rotation is 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 great to happen. And I think that's why this player feels very comfortable with this whole coaching staff because they know what they need to do to win ball games and also the players play play the game hard because they have a manager and the coaching staff that that's what they want. You play me hard, I'm going to be fine with it. But you you mentioned 108 pitches, 110. Uh, that's that's long for for today's game. We're talking about taking pitchers, pitchers out before that, you know. In today's game, it's long, but you're talking two veteran pitchers, right? And McGarry uh-huh. and Ibaldi, that they can go more than that. And 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 coming, John Gray is another one that you can you can go with 115, 120 pitches to him. I don't know about Max Archer now because he's hurt. Right. I don't know how long he's going to go when he's going to pitch in the next couple of days that we need to keep the eye on on him because obviously we we tune the nothing series and, and we in the good position. And I think we need we wanted to save him and stay healthy for the World Series if we go and if we move forward, we need him. So but talk to me a little bit about you being a catcher and like, how did you get through 
that third time through the order? How did you, what was different for you when you were playing? The third time through the order, through the order, and for me as a catcher, I will be more aggressive. I will be more, more like established, more the the fastball inside, and and pitches down away for ground ball for strikeout. But for me, uh, when 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 you have two times that you see that hitter on the plate, you got to go with what you you know with what you start the first time up, the second time up, and then. The third time up, he has, he got a pretty much idea how many, you know, the, you know, the breaking ball, how it breaks, the fastball, how fast mm-hmm. it is, any of that. And so, for me, that's what I going more, <clears throat> more inside because that's the hardest pitches. That's the hardest pitch for a hitter to keep it fair. Right. And a lot of hitters in today's game, they they're just going, they're just dying to the home plate and try to hit the outside part of the plate. And for me, I would like to eliminate that when it's late late in the game. Because when it's late in the game, you need 90-feet ground balls. You need balls to this side of the diamond because if it's man in scoring position, second base, that runner is not going to advance. Mm. Uh, it's man on third base, less than two out. I want a 90-feet ground ball because yeah. I want them – I want the third baseman to feel and watch the runner and throw the first base for an out. So that's what the inside pitch is really, really important for me when I was a catcher in those situations. How amazing has it been to watch the growth of velocity since you were playing? I mean, you know, we keep adding velo every year. What was it like? How rare was it for you to see 98 when you were playing or 100? It's it's amazing to watch uh, these pitchers today. You know, just throwing ninety-eight, a hundred with no effort. It just, just let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, stronger, I think, is because you know the players today—they're taller, they're bigger, they're stronger. Uh, different era. I think these pictures that you're seeing today—you know—we they average ninety-four to ninety-eight to a hundred. Uh, starting pictures ninety-four to ninety-six, and guys from the bullpen. 97 to 103 miles an hour. And so <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing to see that. And, and it's basically Brief. because, you know, different different frame, I think, different bodies, you know, younger, taller, bigger, stronger, you know, different training maybe uh, in, the, in, the, in the weight room. And, you know, that's why they're, they're so strong. Were you on that team with Joel Zumaya? Absolutely. I'm throwing 108. Yeah, that was the first time I saw 108. I, I, I got the chance to catch him a lot of times, 108. Did it hurt? You know, it's coming fast. It's a, 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 a fourth seam. It's a fourth seam. It's not a – I prefer to – I prefer a pitcher to to throw two seam, move the With ball the around, than, than a fourth seam, 100. But obviously when you, when you throw 108, it's still coming really fast. Yeah, they used to do the whole thing on the video screen, you know, the Zoom Maya, and they used to have the whole thing. That was so much fun. Exactly. Now everyone throws 100. Um, thanks so much for for coming by. Just wanted to ask, uh, you know, what you're doing. Uh, was there something you're, are you, uh, are you an owner now? You're an owner, aren't you? <laughs> no, basically, no. I'm, uh, actually, I'm, I'm here in my house in Colombia uh, with the family now. Uh, I'm going to be here. To the, into the 24 and then I'm going to Puerto Rico for a 
couple of weeks, but I'm here, relax. Uh, so you're just out. the Puerto Rican winter leagues. It's just uh, you're just involved in that. You're not a not yeah, an owner. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit involved in you know outside of it, not not into it. I I advise a lot of to mm. you know to uh, to the owners. I'm a good friend of Raúl Rodríguez. He's the owner of Caguas team, which is the team that I play for 15 years winnable. So I advise him a lot. And uh, obviously, it's, it's, I always spend a great time just go there and, and see, you know, the growth, you know, from the young kids that now are playing, playing the game. They want to become great players. And now you see uh, the winter ball from four teams from three years ago. Now we back to 16. So it's more opportunities for players to play professional baseball in Puerto Rico so they can be ready for, for the next season. And what's this about underwear? <laughs> I know. I, it's great. I just wanted to thank you. You know, you and I, we we have fun <laughs> doing the commercial. Obviously, you are the expert on stats. So you so <laughs> wanted to know about stats, Dr. Eno. He knows he's the best doing that. But but have a great time uh, doing the commercial, obviously, uh, for the for the purpose of uh, doing you and I. We did it is for the uh, testicular cancer, which is a foundation, which is a is a foundation that that we need to keep supporting. Uh, is needed. We we need to pay attention. Um, um, checking, go check, go. You know, see that you okay. Uh, I know it's it's a cure for it, uh, but. We got to pay attention because this this cancer uh, situation is very young. It's from 15 to 30, 31 years old. So sometimes you don't you don't feel it or you don't know, and but you got to go and check. But anyway, we we have a great time. You know the underwears are really comfortable. What they made it just be just to you know to work in this area so we can feel more comfortable. But now, what's anyway, that? What's that company again? Sacks. That's right. <laughs> Underwear. Yeah. But no, I'm glad. I'm glad to work with you. I'm glad to be part of the Sacks Underwear team with you and the guys. They did a nice commercial in Miami and look forward to continue work together. All right. And and, and go Rangers. Go Rangers. Go Rangers. Go <laughs> Sacks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Yvonne. Yeah, you know, thank you, buddy. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.